Hey, I'm your host, Nia Dumas, a multimedia journalist from Ohio University, and today we will be discussing intersectionality within the LGBTQ plus community. Intersectionality is the layering of multiple identities and being able to acknowledge them. A lot of LGBTQ coverage in spaces neglect the experiences of minorities such as people of color and disabled communities. Michael McCary, the director of Ohio University's LGBTQ Center and who also serves on Athens City Council, shared his experiences as a black cisgender gay man navigating his identity within his position. I feel like I've got the most corrective feedback primarily from black men about not performing uh, adequately like a black man ought to. Rather that was like because of the way I spoke or because of like where I wore my pants around my waist versus around my buttocks or uh, like how my hair was styled, whether or not I had waves and how that would or would not attract women to me. And all these just sort of like uh, corrective behaviors that were kind of a cue that for some people, particularly cisgender black men, uh, anything that they interpreted as too white or too effeminate or, or was going to be like something that they challenged me on. And I would say that then in college, the biggest emphasis on intersectional identity for me came uh, in not having other out LGBTQ people of color who were connected to the, um, the LGBT center or student organizations where you could find and connect with people. Micah is no stranger to hardships. When it comes to navigating his place within the black community as a gay man, he encourages diversity in his Being community. cognizant of who we are and who we are not really serving based on who's visiting our LGBT center, who's showing up at events. So I've always been conscientious because of my own experience about like, oh, uh, if there's only one person of color here, that can be an uncomfortable experience and that can stop some conversations from happening or uh, we haven't had as many international students visit the LGBT center as I would like because it's really important that at Ohio University we're trying to make like global leaders and global thinkers and recognizing that the way things are even for queer people in the United States is not the way things are necessarily. In America, 58% of the LGBTQ plus community is female. 21% identifies as Latinx. 12% identifies as black. 5% identifies as more than one race, according to the Williams Institute. At Ohio University, there are 960 undergraduate students that identify as multicultural. 524 that are unknown, 341 that are international, 14 identify as a specific islander, 869 are Latino, 1,258 are black, 337 are Asian, and 36 Native Americans, according to Ohio University's Diversity and Inclusion Annual Report from 2021. However, this report does not have statistics on the LGBT community. I had the chance to speak with Roosevelt Boone, who is the Vice President of SHADES. SHADES is a student organization that focuses on building communication among lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students here at Ohio University that come from multicultural backgrounds. We started out just like um, having weekly meetings to create a safe space within the center for people of color to come and talk about their, um, their queer experience that they feel comfortable or um, listening to other people's stories um, and their um, and how they came to uh, came to be comfortable with their sexuality. Um. Shade 
Faith also provides educational programming. However, this can be difficult when trying to keep the space sacred to multicultural students. It's definitely difficult and something I'm definitely trying to get used to because, like, I, I don't want this space to be dominated by only white people, but, like, Sally, that's, like, just reality. Um, so we've been trying to um, come to terms with that and still make um, find ways to let, make our voices be heard and have, like, open discussions about these topics. Sarah Daugherty, the assistant director of Ohio University LGBTQ Plus Center, describes how she intentionally puts herself into minority spaces to brighten her scope of intersectionality. So I, so I went to Cornell University as an undergrad, and I, I applied to live in the multicultural living learning unit where, like, sharing culture and, like, learning about each other was part of the deal. Um, and I was awkward as hell, like, as a brand new, like, white lesbian. And I, I definitely started in, in those conversations in a, like, well, I'm white, and I don't think I have culture, but also I'm a lesbian. And then, like, a bunch of people were like, Sarah, you need to stop that. That's racist. Um, which was, like, super helpful <laughs> um, for me, like, just learning and learning what not to say and what to say and how to, like, enter spaces. And, like, so I learned a lot in that just residence hall program um, about, like, how to be in community with people. Although Sarah and Micah make an effort to include minority voices, that is not the same for the entire office. I think there's definitely some individuals in the center who are trying to bridge that gap, but it's not like a uh, across the board type of thing with, with uh, every worker in the center. And I think that's the problem because like, yeah, like one person is like making like a constant effort to address these issues, but it's like, that's only one person they can only do so much. Like it needs to be like all hands on deck type of thing. And I think that's the problem because a lot of like, I feel like white people in the LGBT community, they feel like their um their experience makes them feel so oppressed and they're so educated on their experience or whatever that they want they that they don't feel like that they should have to do any more to um be allies to other communities. Um okay. so I think that's definitely a struggle, uh trying to um get people to be more aware of the racial um biases within the LGBT community. Ohio University's LGBTQ Plus Center has adapted a CARES framework, which is philosophy and appreciative of inquiry. Uh, the C stands for community engagement, the A is for appreciative inquiry, the R is for radical inclusion, and the E is for the educational emphasis of our office. And that's something I brought because of my uh, academic background. I just finished my PhD in positive psychology and decision making, and appreciative inquiry is a component of positive psychology that helped me figure out what guiding philosophies I wanted to use to um, really recreate our LGBT center when I took over as director in 2019. It was a time for kind of reassessing what kind of center we need to be to meet the needs of people as we enter this new decade, our third decade of existence. This is unique to Ohio University's LGBTQ plus center. Michael felt that it was important to bring something new and progressive. When thinking of intersectionality within the LGBTQ plus community, it goes beyond just race. And that now it's like, no, we also need to be thinking about 
you know, disability and international like experiences and intersectionality more broadly. So it's it's about keeping up with the times. And part of that was responding to a lot of feedback that LGBT center trainings seemed really negative and like depressing and uh, and that is a part of it. You ha- Doherty is also a part of the disabled community. She makes sure that disabled communities are always being thought of when it comes to planning events within the LGBTQ plus center. For my events are like, I actually list out, here's what we have. And I make sure that we have like high weight limit chairs and uh, seating with no arms, seating, seating with arms, like wide enough aisles, aisles that are wide enough and more for like, not just like standard size wheelchairs, but like very large wheelchairs and scooters, like, do we have clear sight lines? Do we have in COVID, like, do we have good circuit, like air circulation or, and, or can there be remote access? Like, can I set up some kind of Zoom or live note-taking or something like that? Can I have ASL interpretation? Sarah recognizes that oftentimes people in disabled communities are often discarded or not thought of because to them, they don't make up that much of the population. Um, but like it, all of that was a negotiation. Like, do we really need this? Like, how do we even do that? What does that look like? And and my being like, yes, 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 we do. Um, but then the question at Ohio is like, who's going to pay for the things that cost money? Although these things are important, they can be expensive. And has anyone planned for access, like? broad and deep back access or is that not part of the culture and like the answer was largely like no that's not part of the culture like that's not a thing we do like for ASL interpreters specifically like the disability services offices will provide interpreters like will pay for interpreters if there is someone who is like deaf and needs ASL interpretation who specifically says that but like if it's if a deaf person wants to come to an event just casually like there's not just always access. Um, and like we had we had remote access. Like that was that was also part of the planning. We had like live streaming to YouTube um, as as part of the like, well, if I'm gonna be involved in an event that's in COVID, <laughs> like there should both be socially distancing inside the space and also there should be like access for people to buy tickets and like watch from their houses or from wherever is actually safe for them. So we did that. But then, like, it was a conversation with the videography people about, like, well, do we also live stream the ASL interpreters? Um, And I I gather that that is not standard practice, that even when there's multiple cameras on an event, the ASL interpretation is typically only for people who are in the room. Um, But I was like, no, can we actually, like, train a camera on the interpreters? And they were like, well, we would have to put them in a box in the bottom of the screen. And I was like, that's great. That's exactly what we want. Um, and they they did that, and it it was great. And like, if you look at the if you look at the actual video of the event, you can see the performers, and you can see the terps. And like, that worked out well. Yeah, but like, but there was also a moment where like one of our partner offices was like, we're specifically not going to pay for interpreters. Um, so, like. Those decisions are getting made in spaces without disabled and deaf people all the time. Um, And, like, the choices that get made in the planning of events determines who shows up or 
who, like, what kind of experience people have when they do show up to these things. Christina Perez, the director of Student Accessibility Services at Ohio University, discusses the cost of their services. So, like, there are some things that really can be done at no cost or very little cost. So, like, sometimes people might need, um, like, if there's print materials, they might need them in an alternate format or they might need, like, a a digital or a PDF format of that, and that can usually be done at no cost because there's usually a digital file somewhere, so it's just a matter of providing it to them. Um, sometimes wheelchair access, it's just a matter of getting, um, like arranging furniture, like tables or chairs in a way that can um, provide access to them, and that can be done at no cost. I would say that probably um, like sign language interpreting is one of the more expensive costs, um, and that also can vary quite a bit depending on how long the event is, how many interpreters are needed, how much um, lead time there is to request them. So like if it's requested on shorter notice, there's usually like a rush fee for that. Um, so it really does vary quite a bit. Um, but usually if there is a, um, like if there's a specific need, so like if there is a specific person that's made a request for interpreting, that is something that our office could uh, potentially pay for. If it's something that the event organizers are doing on their own um, and there's not a specific request, then it would be at the expense of that organization. Daugherty also acknowledges that the disabled community has always held a place within the LGBTQ plus center here at Ohio University. Like I haven't like made the LGBT center like more accessible than before. And I haven't made it like more full of disabled people. Like there have always been disabled people in that space, but like how things get talked about, what gets talked about, how free people feel to share what their experiences have been like. That's the that's the like space where I do a lot of work. And like the fact that I am like visibly disabled, and also I have a lot of experience with like event planning and like facilitating conversations that's both the professional stuff and also the just like showing up in a space and being like hello I'm here like I have I feel like my experience doing like queer and trans justice work in higher education means that like my my presence in spaces is um, especially in some of the more conservative areas that I've worked in uh, my presence is an interruption 